Hello and welcome aboard another episode of the Galan Says Podcast on this Thursday, April 21st of 2021. I am Paul Gallant. You can watch this thing on Twitch live, twitch.tv slash Gallant Says. You can also listen to the Gallant Says podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Hope you're having yourself a wonderful Thursday listening to this early on a Friday. So for those who don't know, I am no longer in Seattle, Washington. I now work at ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 back in Houston, where I'd spent eight years hosting radio at Sports Radio 610 before going up to Seattle and hosting about two years or so at 710 ESPN Seattle. Things did not come to the best of ends there, but everything works out in the end. I'm back in a place that I consider home with friends, though I do miss Seattle and I plan on coming back at some point in this summer. I think there's a series between the Astros and the Mariners late July, right after the All-Star break, and I will probably be in Seattle for that time of year because that is about the most miserable time of year to be in Houston. It's really hot. And Seattle summer's pretty fucking dope. Anyway, there's a big scandal taking place in Seattle, and I watched from afar without a whole lot of context. But in case you didn't know, here's the backstory. The morning show at 710 ESPN Seattle, the Mike Salk show featuring Mike Salk, a guy who hired me and now is hosting the show that I used to host uh, with Maura Dooley. I believe a guy by the name of Justin who I've yet to meet. Maura Dooley's awesome. They made some waves because there's been a conversation, I guess, about Kyle Seeger being replaced by Eugenio Suarez. I'll be honest. I haven't watched any Mariners baseball to this point this year, but I think the debate has been whether or not It was worth it having Kyle Seeger at the contract that he was playing for, which, let's be honest, was overpriced. Even though he was here for a decade, he was making a lot of money to not produce all that much. Pretty good third baseman, though. Gave you decent power numbers as well. And Suarez comes in, and I guess there's been conversation about if Suarez is better than Seeger. I'll be honest. I don't really know. All I know is that people have been going after uh, Mike Salk for essentially admitting that he is rooting for Kyle Seager to burn, I guess is the proper way to put it in context, and that Eugenio Suarez will hopefully make people forget about Kyle Seager. I don't really have a take on all of this because I'll be honest, it's wholly uninteresting to me to debate the merits of a third baseman who hit 212 last year to a third baseman this year who is hitting... 175 like I don't I I don't really give a shit as long as I'm paying less money for said player and if you take a look at the two contracts I mean Kyle Seeker's contract with the Mariners was a ridiculous contract it was something along the lines of wasn't it a hundred million dollars seven years was the actual deal itself and Eugenio Suarez I'm probably butchering his name wrong Eugenio Suarez I'm not 100% sure but the contract that he has with the Mariners, and I'm totally not looking this up on the fly, six years, $66 million. So slightly cheaper. Who gives a shit? It's two third basemen, right? Are, are these guys going to be your foundational pieces going forward? Seager last year, no. Eugenio Suarez, no either. And I don't really give a shit about what Mike had to say either. And by the way, we're on good terms. Like, I don't actually have a personal issue with him. Uh, (laughs) Whitefoot93, the baseball conversation on 710 is so stupid unless it's the actual people around the team. Uh, Salk is so annoying. I'm not here to talk shit. 
Uh, I'll be honest. I was probably one of those people at 710 that didn't know what I was talking about baseball-wise. But I hope that you enjoyed me as much as you possibly can. Uh, I'm here to talk about people like us talking about athletes. When is it acceptable to root against an athlete? When is it acceptable to dislike an athlete? Because when you talk about these players on a daily basis, it does eventually become personal. For me, I I know that some people believe that if you are somebody who talks about sports on a daily basis, you should be completely neutral. You almost shouldn't be a fan. And those people, I say, are fucking stupid because the whole point that you watch sports is because you have an emotional attachment. Do you really want some essentially professor telling you how it really is in an unemotional way? No, screw that. I think that you should have people that are fans that are talking about these sports. Not just sports. Fans of the sports, but fans of specific teams. And when you start covering teams on a daily basis, like when I first moved up to Seattle, like when I first moved to Houston, no matter how hard you try and how stubborn you attempt to be, you will eventually find yourself rooting for the teams that you watch on a nightly basis because you want them to win. You want to discuss them on meaningful days. You want to be remembered as one of the voices that spoke about the team that accomplishes history over the course of a long year. We all want that. That's why 2017 with the Houston Astros, regardless of cheating allegations (laughs) and what was true and what wasn't, that's always going to be a really special year for me, even though, again, I'll admit, I was probably talking out of my ass about baseball for the most part that year. But when you do become a fan, you get a little crazy. Fanatics, that's what it's short for. You'll like certain players, you'll start to root against certain players too. So when is it acceptable to root against somebody? I'll be perfectly honest. The entirety of his time in Houston, I was 100% rooting for James Harden to fail. I was. I didn't like the way he played. I thought it was a disgrace. I thought it was embarrassing. Somebody who has as much skill as James Harden when it comes to going north and south, exploding into the lane, drawing fouls, does not need to embellish for more foul calls. To me, that's just a disgusting brand of basketball. And when you don't even give a remote shit defensively on the other end... I lose even more respect for you. So I never liked watching James Harden, ever. Not for one fucking second. And yeah, I rooted against him. When the Rockets and Warriors were playing each other in the 2018 Western Conference Finals, I had something at stake. I had thrown out, hey, tell me what I need to do if the Rockets somehow beat the Warriors in this series, because there was a lot of obnoxious, red, uh, rowdy, which is the nickname of the Rockets online fan base and the really loud little section that they have at the court um, at Toyota Center. They bring in like a drum and the guy's like offbeat all the time. It's fucking annoying. But whatever, they're fans. Who am I to dump on them? But they were all getting on my case because I said the Warriors are going to absolutely dismember the Rockets who have no chance. And to the Rockets' credit, they were up three games to two in this series. And I had said, okay, the Warriors win this series. I'm going to either have to sport a mustache for a month, shave my head. I think I said possibly shave my eyebrows. And everyone voted on shave my head. And I was like, okay, we'll do it. So part of me was rooting against the Rockets because of that. No doubt about it. But the other part was, I didn't want to see James Harden's career validated with a NBA title as the centerpiece on a 
championship team. I didn't want it. So I 100 fucking percent rooted against him. I feel like that's a reasonable reason to root against a guy. But it was because of what I saw from him on the court and a level of disinterest that I sensed from him off the court as well. Is that what is taking place when it comes to Kyle Seeger and one Mike Salk? It doesn't really feel that way. And I guess the only real point I have, because people that host talk shows have bits, recurring bits, certain players they don't like, certain players that drive them crazy, and they'll go back to them over and over again. But when that player's no longer a part of the team, what's the point of continuously bringing that person up? Kyle Seeger retired. Is he retired for good? I don't know. But, all right, 10 years with the Mariners. Mariners history is so depressing that that's uh, a guy who you're looking at and you're like, yeah, I guess he's kind of one of the best Mariners ever. Probably shouldn't have to do that. But what more do you have to say about him at this point in time? And what does Eugenio Suarez have to do with Kyle Seeger? Suarez isn't going to be here for 10 years. Suarez is not going to be somebody that's looked at in the same way that Kyle Seeger was, for better or for worse. What's the point of just continuously piling on the guy? You've won, right? He's done. He's not playing there anymore. He's out of the clubhouse if he was a supposed cancer, which I can't speak to. He's not pissed off at Jerry DePoto, the general manager of the Mariners, or Mariners front office, which honestly, if you were mad at the Mariners front office, it would be fucking merited to be. They have sucked for the entirety of their history, and no matter how awesome they treated me while I was up there, they were fucking dreadful, and they've been fucking dreadful a really long period of time. Nothing personal. Those are just the absolute facts. And I think to myself, Seeger had a lot of valid gripes with the organization, even if perhaps he was a little bit over the top in the way that he expressed said gripes. And I think that the example I'd point to is just the way that the clubhouse apparently lost its fucking mind when the Mariners traded Kendall Graveman away last year. Graveman's not a part of the Mariners now. He's not a part of the Astros now. You get Abraham Toro in return, and I haven't seen Abraham Toro this year, but Toro looked actually pretty good last year. And the clubhouse was having a meltdown over the fact that they traded this guy that people liked in the clubhouse. And you know what? I mean, I can understand how you feel that way, but there is a certain point where you need to turn the page. So I think that Seeger might have been the ringleader as far as Rancor in the clubhouse last year after that moment in time, and it seemed like they were out on management. I'm sure they were really out on management when you had the uh, um, Kevin Mather moment at the Bellevue Rotary Club breakfast where he basically did a boom-roasted session for the entirety of the Mariners organization. I mean, Jesus, he, he hit it on every single person. Kyle Seeger, overpaid, overrated. Uh, to an extent, he was correct, though. So you can understand the back and forth between those two, but what's the point of going after Seeger now? That's the only question I have. What's the point? What's the win? How does it benefit you? Because now I see on uh, social media a bunch of Seattle uh, media folks talking shit in the passive-aggressive way that they traditionally do, where they're not actually saying anything. I think Aaron Levine said, like, whoa, in response to, to Salk talking about it on the air. Like, I didn't think it, anything that Mike said was awful. I really don't. Like, I just felt like you're, you're, you're dancing on a grave that you don't really need to dance on anymore. Like, is a Kyle Seeger 
relevant to any conversation about Eugenio Suarez when he retired and he's not playing elsewhere. If Seager was playing elsewhere, entirely different story, but he's done. Why talk about him anymore? Am I crazy for thinking that? And look, baseball conversation is difficult. People are getting mad at me because I keep on bringing up that the Astros can't fucking hit. Oh, it's early, Paul. Well, we're 7.5% of the way through the season. At what point can I say, yes, I have concerns, and those concerns are warranted? Do I have to keep waiting? Do I have to wait till the All-Star break? Paul, there's not enough of a sample size. Fuck that. I should be able to say it whenever. But some of you guys are like, oh, well, you don't know baseball. You can't bring that up now. Well, then fuck. I guess I'm not going to talk about baseball all season long. But that's the question I have. Like, how do you, what conversations baseball-wise are good? And maybe the idea of, of Kyle Seager versus Eugenio, Eugenio Suarez is an interesting one to some folks. I, I don't really find it particularly compelling, though. I more so want to focus on Jared Kelnick, if he's going to be able to figure it out this time around. If Julio Rodriguez is progressing, how does Robbie Ray look? Like, those are, those are the things... On the top of my docket, as far as things about the Mariners, I care about. Seager, I don't understand just bringing him up anymore. That's it. I, I'm sorry if I didn't spill enough tea for your liking on that topic, but that's, that's really all I've got. And now I want to shift over to talking about fundamentals in sports. I've been watching that Winning Time documentary on HBO Max, which has been a controversial one because of the portrayal of some of the people on that show. I think that they've been kind of babies about it. You're dishonoring my legacy. It's a fucking drama. And it's an entertaining drama. What do you think is going to be a better watch? Winning time on HBO Max, where everything has been melodramatized to the max, or that upcoming Magic Johnson on Apple TV documentary about the Lakers? I guarantee you there will be nothing salacious on that documentary about the Lakers where this drama has obviously taken some liberties and it's been entertaining. Most sports documentaries aren't very good, especially when they are run by somebody who is going to be center stage. And Magic Johnson is infamous for being center stage, but not actually having any opinions or going against the grain ever. He's a people pleaser. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not going to be like the last dance. So I've been enjoying this Winning Time documentary. And on the Winning Time documentary, they have been roasting the Boston Celtics because the Celtics were the complete opposite of what the Lakers were in the early uh, 80s, the late 70s. The Lakers, when Magic Johnson came aboard, were flashy, exciting to watch, playing an entirely different style of basketball. And the Boston Celtics, the team I grew up rooting for, that team was all about fundamentals and doing things the right way. And it's interesting how two teams that are so dissimilar can actually turn into essentially a uh, racial back and forth. The Celtics and fundamentals represents the whites and the Lakers and flash and pizzazz. Well, that's clearly for black people. Like there was this weird dynamic that it's funny looking back at how Celtics Lakers was a cultural (laughs) war in a way. People would root for the Celtics even if they weren't from Boston, which I find to be weird. People would root for the Lakers even if they weren't from Los Angeles, which makes a little more sense to me than the other way around. But whatever. I like fundamentals having grown up a Celtics fan. I like fundamentals having grown up a Patriots fan. And I had a massive pants tent watching the Boston Celtics completely dismember Kevin Durant for the second straight game. And it's all about fundamentals and team. And maybe I'm an old fogey for loving this stuff so much, but goddamn, isn't it fucking awesome to watch a team completely stifle a superstar? 
Am I the only person that feels that way? I would much rather watch a team completely crush a great player as opposed to that great player just win a game by himself. They've done this in back-to-back games. Kevin Durant in game one, I figured, okay, this is something that won't last all series. He played 41 minutes in the 115-114 Celtics defeat of the Nets, scoring 23 points on 9 of 24 from the field, 1 of 5 from outside, 4 for 5 from the line. That's not going to happen the rest of the series. Then you see yesterday where he was worse. 42 minutes, 4 of 17 from the field. He did score 27 points, 18 of 20 from the free throw line. The Celtics went into that game and said, we're just going to beat the shit out of him all game long. And I loved it. I love team over individual. We all want to have moments where we, as Americans, I think it is just part of our culture, want to shine. We all want our 15 minutes, 15 seconds of fame. And the idea that team beats individual, for some, might be akin to saying communism is better than democracy or democratic republic or capitalism, whatever you want to call it. And, I mean... Capitalism is better than communism, but there's something about a team effort completely wiping out one super-powered individual that I find to be fucking awesome. And I think that we should all be okay admitting it. It's weird. If I were to tell you that I grew up a Patriots fan and uh, love the Boston Celtics of old, the Boston Celtics of uh, the mid to late 2000s, you're probably going to assume that I'm from Boston, but you're also going to look at me and say, oh yeah, he's that guy. He's older or he's a white. He likes these teams because of X, Y, and Z. And I guess that could actually be true, but I love teams that are obsessed with fundamentals. And this Celtics team is so fun. They play great defense. They were playing like shit on offense for the most part in the first half of that game against Brooklyn. They couldn't buy a buck. They were missing easy shot after shot after shot. But the whole game, they stayed committed to just beating up on Kevin Durant. And I love watching that as opposed to some individual taking over a game and dominating. Next topic. This has to do with something that took place on a plane. And uh, let's put the picture in picture up. So you can watch the video. Twitch.tv slash Gallant Says is how you watch the Gallant Says podcast live. So it's from Passenger Shaming, an Instagram account. Mike Tyson filmed punching fellow plane passenger in the face multiple times. A video of an incident on a plane on Wednesday appears to show Mike Tyson repeatedly punching a fellow passenger after he wouldn't leave the boxer slash actor slash podcaster alone. I think you just say boxer, right? You think about any of those other titles when it comes to Mike Tyson? TMZ reports that the moment went down on an airplane scheduled to fly from San Francisco to Florida. A witness said the passenger was overly excited upon discovering he was sitting behind Tyson and he secured a selfie with him. But as the passenger continued to try to talk to Tyson, he apparently annoyed him enough to be told to relax. The retired boxer allegedly then turned around to punch the man in the face multiple times as seen in the footage on TMZ. Shortly after punching the guy, Tyson reportedly walked off the plane. The victim, who could be seen with a bloodied face, received medical attention and has since contacted the police, although there's no word whether an investigation has been launched. So you can watch that whole thing, I guess, on TMZ Sports. But 
If you want to watch it with me right now, twitch.tv slash Galan says, let's see what the fuck happened. Okay. Man. I'm watching this in the first couple of seconds. It, it just strikes me as one of those really pushy salespeople that won't ever let you go. This shit crazy, bro. Mike Tyson. Oh, God. He's got a cell phone holster. You see that on his right hole? Oh, oh boy. He'll be here rapping with Tyson. He's still talking Mike to him. Tyson trying to give us some shrooms. Still talking to him. <laughs> you don't know how to act. He's definitely trying to sell something to him. Look, if you're in what looks like business class or first class, leave people the fuck alone. Just leave them alone. Honestly, if you're on a plane, there's no reason to have a conversation with somebody else. Generally, no one wants to talk to somebody else. If you're one of those overly friendly people on a plane, I'm sure you think that you're bringing joy to the world. But for the most part, if you're on a plane, I know what I want to do. I want to sit down and pass the fuck out and sleep for the entirety of the flight. Maybe just to get up to have, I don't know, a cup of booze or something like that. I want to get from point A to point B. I don't want to be distracted by you. I'm going to either watch a movie or fall asleep. Anyway, let's keep watching this video. He should have never gave you his money. Oh my God. Yeah, he's really annoying. It's weird because you don't really get context. This is clearly a bunch of Instagram stories, and I'm sure that he posted this as time went on. And then here's where things really hit the fan for that passenger. Hey, Mike, Mike, come on. Let's go stop back. There's a horse. <laughs> I mean, he... Yeah, blue, man, flight. Look at his face. Boy just got beat up by Mike Tyson. Oh, Look at that, that frown. Way. Yeah, he got f***ed up. He probably earned it. I hate to, you know, <laughs> justify violence. But if you're being that annoying over and over again, especially after I'm sure Mike Tyson warned you to stop, what did you think was going to happen? I mean, Mike Tyson's got to be very high up on a list of people that you do not want to annoy. Let's see. Toughest people in the world. Oh, wow. We're getting a really long list of, of, of uh, strange people. Persons. Difficult. This is coming up on Google. The fuck is Michael Malloy? Michael Malloy. Oh, I, I, I listened to an episode of The Dollop about this guy. Michael Malloy, not quite Iron Mike Tyson, but later known as Mike the Dorable or Iron Mike. Wow, his name was Iron Mike. Was a homeless Irishman who lived in New York City during the 1920s and 1930s. He survived multiple murder attempts on his life by five acquaintances who were attempting to commit homicide as a life insurance fraud. If I'm not mistaken, this guy would come into the bar all the time and he would be given wood alcohol after having him sign up for life insurance. And they kept on giving him a sandwich of spoiled sardines with poison and carpet tacks and raw oysters soaked in wood alcohol and just giving him shots of wood alcohol. And he kept on eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and nothing was happening to him. Like the guy was just putting it down. On an extremely cold night after Malloy drank until passing out, he was carried to a park, dumped in the snow, and had five U.S. gallons of water poured on his bare chest. But he was rescued by police who took him to a homeless charity where he was reclothed. This group attempted to kill Malloy by running him down with a taxi, hitting him at 45 miles per hour. It put him in the hospital for three weeks. He didn't die from that either. This is incredible. 
And I guess they eventually got him by going into his room, putting a hose in his mouth connected to a coal gas jet and turning it on. But this is somebody that I feel like you would be pretty good at annoying. Because clearly these people who were trying to kill him for a life insurance fraud were annoying him. So who else? <laughs> the toughest person in, in, in history. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Let's see. Uh, scariest person in history. Maybe that's going to give us someone better than Mike Tyson to mess with on a plane. Scariest person in the world. Uh, Maximilien Robespierre, the guy who led the French Revolution. Well, he's dead. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, the Milwaukee cannibal, a s- American serial killer and sex offender who committed the murder and dismemberment of 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991. Necrophilia. Okay. Uh, now this, this is, we're talking about like real celebrities. Toughest celebrity in the world. Maybe this time we'll, we'll get actually a, a, a good answer here that will be akin to Mike Tyson. All right. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, Chris Hemsworth is number three. Stone Jam 206 says Chuck Norris, maybe. Jason Momoa would be pretty intimidating. Mark Wahlberg only at seven. I think he would be very pissed off about that. 13 actors who are legitimate tough guys and 12 who are only tough on screen. Legitimate tough guy, Sir Christopher Lee. Christopher, (laughs) Emily says, new name of the podcast. Watch Gallant Google. Honestly, that could be fun. You just have to have a whole lot of patience on that. Sir Christopher Lee holds the Guinness World Record for most acting roles, but this was a guy that supposedly served with the British SAS in World War II. He also was a Royal Air Force pilot. Let's see what else. Mickey Rourke. Nah. Danny Trejo. Well, yeah, that guy went to jail. Pretty damn tough looking. Dolph Lundgren, mixed martial arts expert. Obviously a famous actor who played Ivan Drago. Legitimate tough guy, Steve Buscemi. Wow. He was a firefighter in the 1980s. That's interesting. You wouldn't expect that given the roles that he plays in. Sean Bean, a tough guy in real life. In 2012, while hanging out at a bar, someone made a smutty comment about his date. This sounds British. Bean confronted the man who left and returned later. He tried to stab Bean with a shard of glass, but he blocked it with his forearm. Bean later calmly walked into the bar and asked for a first aid kit. He dressed up his wound and returned to his drink. Although the bar uh, workers offered to call him an ambulance, Bean would not have his night ruined by something as ordinary as a gash in the arm. The bar workers were not surprised. Oh, that's not that. That's not that cool of a story. What else do we got? Legitimate tough guy. Adi Leon Murphy, this is the guy who climbed into a burning tank and exchanged machine gun fires with Germans. That guy's pretty cool, but he has since passed. Legitimate tough guys. James Stewart. Yeah, that's a good one. Jimmy Stewart. Dude fought in World War II. Uh, What else we got? Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill? Tough guy that you would maybe not want to mess with on a plane. He has a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Al Bundy? Won a football scholarship to Ohio University. Played as a defensive lineman at Youngstown State. Oh, that's impressive. Legitimate tough guy. Wow. Number one, Mark Wahlberg. (laughs) By 15, he was well known to police as a violent hooligan. One last story before we hit the road. Uh, Stone Jam 206 also says Dick Buckus. I feel like 
these days, maybe you'd feel a little more comfortable messing with dick podcast, but that said, given what Mike Tyson, who is up there in age himself, did to that fucking guy that we just saw a moment ago, maybe it wouldn't go so well. This might be the greatest moment in courts on TV history, and we're just we're just going to watch it. And let's over picture in picture. For those who don't know, Johnny Depp and his ex-wife, Amber Heard, are in the midst of a trial. They were married from 2015 to 2017. It's a relationship that ended uh, pretty intensely. Amber Heard wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post titled, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath that has to change. And stated in said article, two years ago, I became a public figure representing domestic abuse and I felt the full force of our culture's wrath for women who speak out. February of 2019, a couple of months later, Johnny Depp sued her over that op-ed. He alleged that Heard had been abusing him. And I guess this would qualify as abuse. Let's go to a clip from Fox News. He says he looked at it on his, fo- on his phone. I'll rule the objection as the photograph. What was the photograph of Mr. Depp? It was a, it was a, it was a photograph of the bed, our bed, um, and on my. This is very on brand for Johnny Depp, right? Taking forever to get to the point, being a bit goofy along the way. And I love that Amber Heard's just looking straight ahead, like dead inside. Inside of the bed. Um, was human fecal matter. <laughs> Doesn't even break her stare. Um, just dead ahead. Human fecal so batter. I understood why it wasn't a good time to go down there. Um, my initial response to that was... I mean, I laughed. I, I, the, it was so outside... It was so bizarre. <laughs> He's trying so not to laugh. Grotesque that I could only laugh. Um, and um, so I did not go down there that day. She took a shit on his bed, and I guess here's the picture. Uh, that's, that's a poop. That's a poop right there. And it's on the sheets. And... Uh, little gross. I guess I should be paying attention to this, huh? I mean, what more are we going to potentially get out of Depp versus Heard? Anyway, this has been Watch Gallant Google, also known as the Gallant Says Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, live exclusively on twitch.tv slash Gallant Says. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have yourselves a wonderful Thursday. We'll be back at it tomorrow on Friday.